Let's continue to look towards Jesus by opening God's word. If you'll turn to the Old Testament book of Jonah is where we're going to be sitting for our time. If you've never been to the book of Jonah, or maybe it's been a while, it's between Obadiah and Micah, if that helps you any. <laughs> There's no shame. This is a place of grace if you need to look in the table of contents. And even I, uh, your preacher for the morning, put my nice little tab here, so just so I'd make sure I found it. So Jonah is where we're going to be. As you turn there in your device or in the Bible that's in the seat rack in front of you, I think it'd be appropriate before we dive into these verses we'll cover today, uh, simply uh, to look and be reminded that we've been through a lot as a country and as a state and as a community over the last two weeks. Um, part of being a follower of Jesus is coming to Jesus with all of our emotions, even as Josh began our morning talking about. There are over 65 psalms in the book of Psalms, and of 150 that are lament psalms that talk about grief and, and sadness and, and bringing our burdens to the Lord. 65 of the psalms are about that. And so it's appropriate as we gather as the family and the people of God to lament when we need to lament. And so this week, if you could even turn the slide, guys, we think about places like Gilroy and El Paso, Texas, and Dayton, Ohio, and maybe you even heard right here in our community in Garden Grove and Santa Ana this week. We also think even in our church community, we lost a dear friend, Eric Woolery, this week. Eric is the one that you write your property uh, tax checks to. <laughs> Eric went to be with Jesus this week. He was part of our Calvary community. Also lament, there's a little precious boy named Noah Connolly, who we've all been rooting for and went back to Boston this week to get a heart procedure, and then it ended up that his heart's not prepared for that surgery. And so we lament things that happen in our community here at Calvary, that happen in our city, happen in our state and our nation and the world. And so as a Christian, our response is always to go to God with everything. And so before we get into Jonah, let's do that. Just as a family of God, will you close your eyes and I want to lead us in a prayer of lament. And pray with me. Heavenly Father, we, we gather here today on this Sunday and we want to worship you, the one true and living God. Lord, we want to love you, we want to honor you, we want to magnify your name in this place today. And as we do this, Lord, this morning, we, we need to reveal to you that our hearts are heavy. We're sad, God. We're sad that our world is broken. We're sad that innocent people have to suffer. We're sad that hurting people hurt people. We're sad that going out in public seems to have a new added risk. We're sad that you... We can't figure out or even agree upon how to prevent tragedies from happening again. And so, Lord, we offer our sadness to you. We offer our grief to you. We lament to you. And we join even the psalmist in Psalm 42 who says, 
Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Yet I hope in God, for I shall praise you for your help and your presence. And we thank you, God, that you are present in our lament. And you're present here as we gather as the people of God. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. And we said, amen. amen. Another thought on this too is uh, my wife Marie came across Miriam Hendricks' social media post. Miriam's part of our church here. And she just posted this week the, the lyrics from This Is My Father's World, if you know that hymn. And I love this line kind of deeper into the hymn. It says this, This is my father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. Amen? Amen. So that's what we celebrate and we look to today. That God is our ruler in the midst of everything. And God was the ruler in Jonah's day as well. And so let's look there together in Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. We're simply going to cover three verses today. This is what it says, Jonah 1.1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, and paid the fare, and then went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Of the Lord. And we'll stop right there. Grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So these words that were written over 2,700 years ago, they matter here today in the summer of, of 2019. And so let's just walk through these first three verses, get to know a little bit about uh, this book of Jonah, and we'll begin by doing a little name association. So when I say peanut butter, you say, when I say salt, you say, some of you are already over two on this, but we'll keep going. <laughs> when I say eggs, you say, is anybody hungry right now? <laughs> when I say Jonah, you say, whale, yes. It's one of the great children's stories of the Bible. If you had the privilege to grow up in a church as a young child, you no doubt heard the story of Jonah and the whale. It's right tucked in there with uh, Daniel in the lion's den, Noah and the ark, right? But what's beautiful about reading a story like Jonah now as an adult is that it goes beyond the children's headline and you see the depth of what's included here. And you also see the conviction that has led us to here. You see, the whale is only mentioned in Jonah in two verses out of the four chapters. Just two verses. And before those two verses, there's such amazing content that we need to wrestle with and take in. And after those two verses, there's such incredible content that we need to have transform our lives. And so over the next... Uh, Seven, eight weeks, we're going to walk through this book, slowly, methodically letting Jesus speak to us through this wonderful book. And so we start here with the idea that it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah. 
This isn't just some podcast that Jonah listened to. This wasn't just some book he read from the New York Times bestseller list that inspired him. This wasn't just a coffee meeting where he got an idea. This is God speaking to Jonah. Now, there's over eight minor prophets that start their books in the Old Testament with this very phrase, the word of the Lord. And the careful reader, both 2,700 years ago and today, would recognize that, wow, this, this means that something prophetic is about to be uttered by God, that he is initiating or calling someone to be a prophet on behalf of Yahweh. And so it's no different in Jonah where he says the word of the Lord came to this guy named Jonah. Now Jonah in Hebrew means dove. We know that the Holy Spirit is represented by a dove in the New Testament. We know that a, a dove kind of even throughout cultures is connected to the idea of innocence. And so Jonah's name, meaning dove, is like the innocent one. And then Amittai, he, that's his father, his lineage, his heritage, means trustworthy in Hebrew. And so here you have Joseph, the son of Amittai, meaning the innocent, trustworthy one, which should cause you a little chuckle right there, because as you read the next verses, you realize that Jonah is anything but innocent and not trustworthy. And so he doesn't live up to his name. It says Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now we know that Jonah was an actual person. He was a historical figure. He wasn't just an allegory. He wasn't just a parable. He's mentioned in different places throughout the Bible. And I, I want to show you one right here. It's from 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. And this is what it says in regarding Jonah. It says, he... King Jeroboam II, restored the border of Israel from the entrance of Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabia, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke through his servant Jonah, the innocent one, the son of Amittai, the trustworthy guy, the prophet who was of Gath-Hepher. So you see Jonah interacting with Jeroboam II. Jeroboam II was not a good guy. He was uh, the ruler of the northern kingdom. At this point, after Solomon, the nation of Israel had been split into two kingdoms, the northern and the southern. Jeroboam is ruling the northern kingdom of Israel. Jonah's a prophet. And Jonah, as you can kind of read between the lines here, is encouraging, even blessing Jeroboam to set borders around the nation of Israel. Now, we don't do that anymore, but uh, this was relevant for Jonah's time, right? So he's helping, advising the king to set borders to protect the nation of Israel. In a sense, he was, if we could use modern-day political terms, a domestic policy advisor to the king. He didn't really care about foreign policy. His interest, his passion, Jonah's calling was to take care of the northern kingdom, the, the nation of Israel, which makes him such an unlikely messenger to take the message, which gonna, we're going to hear about in verse 2, to another nation outside of Israel. Because Jonah was all about Israel. Only God could take someone whose passion, interests were about one thing, uproot them, and place them somewhere else. That's just our God. 
In fact, I have this great memory of being in high school and meeting a guy named Jim who ran a, a ministry in Baja, Mexico. And Jim told me his story. He said, I was a border guard working for immigration. And over the course of my 20-year career, I just developed a hatred for Hispanics that were crossing the border. I just had this like vitriol hatred for them. And then Jim met Jesus. And God totally changed his heart. And it took him from being guarding our border to now serving in Baja, Mexico with his own ministry. Those type of things that God does when he gets a hold of someone's heart. He turns someone that has hatred into someone that now gives their life. So let's see if that happens here to Jonah. He's protecting Israel. Verse 2 says, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And so God gives Jonah this radical message. It says, Jonah, get up and go. You're here in the northern kingdom, and you're doing pretty well. Jeroboam's evil, but he likes you. Now get up and go. And oh, by the way, you're going to go to Nineveh. Pretty scary, gnarly place. This is uh, what the nations around Israel would look like at the time of Jeroboam. So you have a Syria up here. You can't see it on the screen, but Nineveh would be farther up north. So uh, Jonah is somewhere in this region, not far from Nazareth, where Jesus was born. Take note of that. So Jonah is called above his nation into Assyria, to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And we know a couple things about Nineveh. One was is that the people were, were terrible. In fact, the entire empire of Assyria was brutal. You read stories in history about, and I, I want to be careful because we have kids in here, of that one of the things they would do when they defeat their enemies is they would take the bones of their enemies and they would make walls out of it around their cities. They would torture those that they captured. They participated in child sacrifice. I mean, these would make the average drug cartel or the terrorist in our modern world blush because of the awful things that were happening in Assyria and the empire and the people. And Nineveh was the capital of it, which is in modern-day Iraq. It's kind of interesting to, to connect that. And so this is where Jonah is called to go. Arise, go, and then it says cry against. Now, what does this mean? Is he supposed to walk into the city and just kind of start bawling? No, no, no. In, in the context here, in the ancient world, they would have town criers. And the town crier would announce news would explain new laws or rules. So God is coming to Jonah, who loves his nation, and he said, I want you to go, and not just go anywhere, I want you to go to your sworn enemy, and I want you to stand in the capital city, and I want you to cry out, what does it say? Against them. Okay, just put yourself in Jonah's shoes for a minute. Say at your 11 o'clock life group hour, which I hope you're all going to an 11 o'clock life group today, or say you're at lunch later this afternoon, you announce to your family and friends, hey guys, 
I got a great idea. I, uh, I'm going to buy a plane ticket this afternoon to North Korea. And I know there's a little bit of a travel restriction there, but we'll just kind of figure it out when I get there. Um, but I'm planning to do uh, a crusade um, in the capital of North Korea. In fact, I'm going to call my crusade 40 Days of Destruction. I'm going to get big banners. I'll, I'll get a band platform. It's going to go great. I mean, what would your friends and your family talk to you about at that moment? This was a suicide mission for Jonah in many ways, leaving the comfort of Israel and going to the evil empire of Nineveh. And so what does Jonah do? Well, he does, I think, what a lot of us would do. Verse 3 says, but Jonah rose up to flee from Tarshish from the presence of of the Lord. Interesting, in the Hebrew there, God said, arise and go to Nineveh. Well, Jonah obeys the first part of that command. He does get up and he does go, but look where he goes, the opposite direction. <laughs> Tarshish was, is where modern day Spain is today. And so, I don't know if you've ever connected the dots here, maybe you've heard that Jonah went away, but you couldn't have gone any farther away, could you? In this moment. So here's Joppa, uh, the sailing town, the port. Nineveh is up here, and he buys a one way ticket to Tarshish, modern day Spain. He's running as hard and as fast as he can away from the mission of God. But it's interesting because Jonah, being a God fearing man, would know what David wrote in Psalm 139. David writes these words, where can I flee from your, or where can I go from your spirit, and where can I flee from your presence? Here is Jonah trying to flee, not just from the mission, but what does it say here in verse three? From the presence of the Lord. It's crazy that he would think that he could do this. It's like a toddler when you're playing hide-and-go-seek and they cover their face and they think because they can't see you that you must not be able to see them. Now, that's cute for a little child. It's pretty pathetic, though, for an adult, right? And yet this is Jonah. This is the prophet. This is what, who the book is named after. This is the quote-unquote hero of our story, fleeing from the presence of God. And yet, as I think about Jonah's life, oh, I just can't help but connect some dots to my own life too, huh? How many times in our backstory have we tried to flee from the presence of God? How many times have our view of God been diminished and our view of sin been increased? And so we start chasing after sin, and it looks so good, and God seems so small, and, and then we think, oh, I, I'm just going to go do this thing over here, and, and God's presence will, will be over here, and when I'm done with over here, then, then I'll go back to God's presence right here. Okay, God, we're good, right? Well, may, okay, stay there, God, stay, stay, God, okay, now I'm going to go here. I mean, it's crazy, huh? But we all get into this sin cycle of thinking that somehow we can flee the presence of God. Jonah's no different. 
goes the opposite direction. Where can you go from your spirit? Where can we flee from your presence? The question, though, is why was Jonah running so hard? Was it truly that he thought that he was about to have a suicide mission? That, God, this, there's no way this is going to work. Uh, I, I'm not even going to try to pretend that this mission is going to be successful. But actually, the first three verses of Jonah don't tell us. But let's skip to the back of the book. Remember algebra? If you need the answer, you'd skip to the back. Let's go to chapter 4. It's on the screen. If you want to turn there on your Bible, you can. Look at verse 2 of Jonah chapter 4. We read something super interesting here. It says, Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. This is fascinating. So Jonah didn't run the opposite direction because he was afraid of the mission. Although I'm sure he's human, there was a certain fear of what God was calling him to do to go to this enemy territory. But Jonah reveals here in chapter 4 that the main reason that he ran was because he was afraid that God's mercy would come upon the Ninevites. And so you see Jonah's heart here that he was a man who deeply hated the Assyrians to the point where he wanted judgment on them, not God's mercy. And he knew that God is a merciful God. Maybe this was political. Maybe his hatred came from an economical reason. Maybe it was super personal. Maybe someone in Jonah's family had uh, been captured by the Assyrians. The text doesn't tell us what produced this feeling and emotion in Jonah, but it just kind of reveals it to us that here was a man who was holding a people group and having hatred towards them to the point of wanting judgment not mercy. Now, I think in our culture here today, we can connect a lot to this because it's easy for us, or let's just get away from being personal, our culture, <laughs> to point to groups and say, well, it's because of you that we have problems in life. If it wasn't for you and this system then our world would be so much better. We're entering into a 2020 election cycle. <laughs> now, politics are great. I think for being a believer in Christ, we should be active in politics, representing being salt and light uh, to our culture and our world. And yet it's so fascinating as we go from election cycle to election cycle, and maybe it's just because I've become more aware of this stuff as I've gotten older, uh, the hatred on both sides has increased, hasn't it? So if you ask a liberal and you say, what's the main problem in our world? They would say it's a conservative. If you asked a conservative, what's the main problem in our world? They would say it's the liberal agenda. And you can insert the blank. It, it could be uh, for other people, it's, well, it's that race. If it wasn't for that race and that people group, then our world would be so much better. If it wasn't for that nation, if it wasn't for that system, then our world would be a better 
place. And so what we do is we have scapegoats in our lives. Now, I don't want to make this personal yet. Just our culture does this, right? And yet, even as followers of Jesus, we can fall into blaming others and systems for the problems in our world. But here is the beauty. Stick with me here. Is that we do have problems in this world. We've seen them over the last couple weeks manifest themselves in very real and tangible ways. And that problem stems back to sin. The sin that came in from the garden, the sin that we inherited, and our own sins that we personally committed. And as followers of Jesus, we resist the temptation to scapegoat the world's sin problem on another people or on another place. Instead, we place the scapegoat properly how God meant it to be placed. And that is on the person of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus also talks about Jonah. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says some fascinating things. And one of the things he says is this. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus became our scapegoat. Jesus became the solution to all the things that are wrong in this world. The sins of this world were placed on Jesus. The past, the present, and even our future sins were placed on Jesus Christ. As for three days, he was in the grave. But then, the Bible tells us, the grave could not hold him, right? Is that on the third day, Jesus rose again, overcoming sin, conquering death. And our sin has been cleansed by the shed blood of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And so we no longer have to scapegoat anyone else. We can simply look to Jesus. And so Jonah, about 700 years before, 800 years before Jesus came on the scene, Jonah was called to place his faith in the future Messiah. Not to blame another nation for the problems of his day, although it's good to stand up for justice. But Jonah was called to place his faith in the future Messiah. We, now in 2019, are called to place our faith in the Messiah that has come. Is this good news? This is very good news. So let me just ask you a couple of what for me have been convicting questions to sit with. Are there any areas of your life where you're running from God in? Like Jonah, is there an area of your life where God says, I, I want to deal with that, and you say, not right now. I want you to explore forgiving your dad. No. I want you to pursue reconciliation with your son. No. I want you to walk away from this sin that so easily entangles you. Not yet. Is there a place in your life where you're running from God? 
And here's the good news. Is that you can't outrun God's mercy because of Jesus. You can never outrun God's mercy. I picture it like this. I live by Main Place Mall and we're blessed with a lot of helicopters that fly over our, our area. And I always think like, man, like these helicopters, they always get their guy, right? When they're flying over, they got the spotlight on, like no one can ever get away or escape from the helicopter in the sky. And, and that's kind of us with God's mercy. So next time you see a helicopter, I want you to think of this. We can never hide or run or escape, not only from God's presence, but also from God's mercy. So great. That's what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks as we look at the book of Jonah. So are there areas of your life that you're running from God in? Let him catch you. Even today. Here's another question. Is there a group like Jonah that either for political, sociological, racial, or other reasons, that if God called you to them, you would say no? Is there a group of people or a system that you've been tempted to scapegoat in and, and you need to repent of that today? Praying that you and the Holy Spirit can deal with it and you can find freedom today in Jesus to let go of what's been holding you back. People that have been given mercy. And so even though we've tried to run, God's pursued us, he's caught us, he's redeemed us, and now he puts us on mission. And this was Jonah's story, as we'll read the next few weeks. We have a mission that we've kind of personalized here at Calvary, similar maybe to what Jonah was being called to by God, and that is an each one, reach one campaign. It's the idea that all of us have influence at work and our neighborhood with our family and our friends. We're praying that God uses each of us to reach somebody else with the good news of Jesus so they don't have to scapegoat somebody else, but they can simply place their sins on Jesus and experience forgiveness and peace. And so there's a couple ways we want to even play that out in this next season. One is we'd love, love, love for you to consider inviting someone to the Harvest Crusade. The Harvest Crusade is in a couple of weeks at the Anaheim Stadium. I know you know where it's at. Be a great opportunity to invite somebody. Say, hey, just come with me and experience this night together. In fact, here's a little personal message from Greg to us. Hey, everybody. Greg Laurie here with a special hello to Pastor Eric and all my friends there at Calvary Church in Santa Ana. So the 30th anniversary of the so-called harvest is coming. Can you believe it? 30 years. And we want to celebrate this thing with the best music and the best of everything, but most importantly, with the presentation of the gospel. So I need your help. Here's what I'm asking you to do. You've heard me say this before, but I still need you to do this. Three things. Number one, pray. Pray for the crusade. What did Jesus say? He said, the harvest is great, but the labors are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send labors into the harvest. So pray for the event and pray about people that you know right now, moms and dads and neighbors and siblings and coworkers, people you know that don't know Jesus, start praying for them by name and then invite. Always pray before you invite. Say, I would like to personally invite you to come as my guest 
to this year's SoCal Harvest. Tell them what it's all about. Here's how you're going to get them there. Because you've been a good friend, because you've had a great testimony, they'll want to do something with you because you've won them over by the way that you live. In effect, you've earned the right to share the gospel. Listen to this. How many gospels in the New Testament are there? You're probably thinking four, right? No, there's five. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you. And guess what? You're probably the only gospel a lot of people will ever read. So pray, invite, and here's the key. Listen, bring them, not send them. Don't say go to the event. No, bring them to the event. And then while they're there, be praying for them that God would touch their heart. Because the greatest moment at the Harvest Crusade is not a certain artist singing. And it's not a certain preacher preaching. It's when people come forward to ask Christ to come into their life. Many of you have seen it already. Many of you have participated in the past, but I'm asking you to engage again in this year's SoCal Harvest. So I will look forward to seeing you there. Thanks. That's great. So we're saved and redeemed to be on mission. The Harvest Crusade is one opportunity to be on mission. In fact, in the lobby today as you leave, you can grab invite cards or some in the bulletin that you received when you walked in as well. We have bumper stickers back there, the famous Harvest Crusade bumper stickers. So grab something. And we need volunteers to be uh, prayer counselors and also to help us respond and follow up with people here in Santa Ana and Tustin and Orange who received Christ at the Harvest Crusade. We're going to get a stack of names that we at Calvary get to follow up with. How amazing is that? And so I'd love for you to be volunteering. You can find us in the lobby, and we'll connect you on this mission. Another way to live out the mission of God is to be baptized, is to publicly proclaim that because of your faith in Jesus, you've been washed clean, not by the water in the ocean, but by Jesus' blood on the cross. And so baptism is a public display of that, of saying, I've been saved, I've been forgiven, I've been redeemed. And so today we have the opportunity at 5 o'clock, at Corona Del Mar State Beach. And this year we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, for the last several years we've gone over to the, what we call Pirate's Cove. This year we're going to actually be on the main beach and we're going to take the baptisms down into the waves from there. So pray that we don't lose anybody, number one. <laughs> and then secondly, we'd love everyone here to be part of that. We're going to celebrate God's uh, just saving work in people's lives and then publicly displayed in baptism. And then we're going to gather together and enjoy a barbecue as a family. And so please, 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 if you can, come down tonight at 5 o'clock uh, at Corona Del Mar State Beach. And if you've never been baptized as a believer in Jesus, I think today would be a great day. At 11 o'clock, if you can see um, over to your right, my left, uh, down the hallway there is our prayer room. And we're going to be having a simple class for one hour to talk about what baptism is all about and why the Bible commands it. And so if you're interested in getting baptized tonight, we want you to come to this class, 11 o'clock, right after we break here. That's a way to be on mission for God. Here's another way. Next Sunday, we have a thing we call fill the bus. We bring a school bus onto the campus. In fact, we park it in the quad area right there. And we ask you to bring school supplies and backpacks. Now, uh, these supplies are distributed in a couple different ways. One is the uh, supplies are taken to local Santa Ana schools right here in our city. Now, Santa Ana schools start this week. But what we do is we take the supplies and we give them to the teachers. And then the teachers throughout the year 
distribute the supplies to the students. It's an amazing, amazing way to support our teachers here in Santa Ana, as well as support our students, where 80% of our students here in Santa Ana are on um, a low income um, and then a, a free lunch program. And so this is a way for us to communicate that God loves them and cares for them. In fact, I have a crazy big dream, and that is here in the city of Santa Ana that we would live long enough to see a year where there's not one gain shooting in Santa Ana. Can you imagine? God's kingdom come here to Santa Ana and provides peace. Now, I know a binder <laughs> might not feel like there's a connection to that. You know, it's a start to help our kids know that they're loved and cared for by us and ultimately by God. And then our supplies are going, uh, we have backpacks are going to uh, South Africa to our Acres of Love partner. And this is a wonderful, wonderful ministry that cares for kids uh, that basically would be lost in the system if it weren't for these homes that were set up for the kids to live in full time. And so our backpacks arrive for them to start their new, new school year. And so brain supplies, backpacks, uh, next week on our website, there's all the list of stuff you can bring. In the lobby, you can get that as well as, as, well as your bulletin. So those are a few ways that you can be on mission for God. It might not feel like going to Nineveh, but it's a start. Invite someone. Come tonight. Bring a backpack next week. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to enjoy communion together. But before we do that, I just want to invite anyone who has run from God and has never placed their faith in Jesus to put their faith in Jesus here today. How amazing would it be is that as we take communion, it's your first steps as a new follower of Jesus. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray and invite anyone who's interested in placing their faith in Jesus Christ to do so with me now. And so will all of us just pray as we prepare our hearts for communion. Heavenly Father, I know your spirit is working, and I pray for my friends here who don't know where they stand with you, or maybe they know where they stand with you, and they're far from you. They've run from you for so long, but Lord, they confess right now in this moment that they're weary, that the battle to manage their sin has become overwhelming. God, I pray in this moment that you'd give courage to those who have never placed their faith in you. May they cry out to you right now and say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, forgive me. Once and for all, I believe that you, Jesus, are the living Savior, the one who went to the cross and died for my sins, the one who rose again and overcame death. God, I trust you in my life right now. Be my leader, my savior, my God. This is my prayer. Amen.